All right. Hey, guys, I want to tell you about something important to me today, something I do a lot, something I that's very close to me, something that matters a lot to me, something that is a big part of my life that I think uh, a lot of other people might maybe want to have be part of their life. Not necessarily. No judgment if you do or don't, but something that I do a lot and that I do talk to folks a lot about and hear some interest in well i cook a lot of chicken i have a lot of uh boneless skinless chicken breasts as a part of my diet and uh, people have some interest in that because i think there's a lot of folks out there who've tried cooking bsc bbcs boneless skinless chicken breasts in their diets and have maybe uh not had the best time with it for a number of reasons that could be but it's very very easy to overcook to dry out to make to make chicken breast be kind of gross. Uh, and so a lot of diets, particularly diets centered around maybe improving your health, well, those diets call for a lot of boneless, skinless chicken breasts. And if you don't know how to cook it without fucking it up, you're going to have a bad time. And it's likely to throw you off your diet or just put you in a bad mood. And I don't want either. I want you to stick with your diet because I think you're good and you're a strong person and you should and good for you and how and keep it up but also um you know i don't want you eating garbage that you hate you know i want you to eat stuff that you like and i want you to stick with your diet and i want you to have positive outcomes and i want you to be proud of yourself and i want you to uh to be empowered um so my, what i'm going to help you do in that regard is i'm going to help you make chicken that you actually want to eat all right so before we get going too far, uh, anybody listening, thanks so much for listening. We got a new email address. Instead of my personal email address, it's now going to be in over my head at protonmail.com. That's right, in, then the word over, my head at protonmail.com. We also have a Facebook page now. Um, it's just going to be, just go to Facebook, and if you search for in forward slash my head podcast, You'll find us. If you can be one of the first hundred to like that page, uh, you're guaranteed a free T-shirt when we do finally get around to making T-shirts. And that'll be around the same time that we got 100 people following our page. So it's kind of a hand-in-hand thing there. So thanks so much for listening. We're happy to have you here. Love to get your feedback. Um, we'll keep it coming in, and, uh, and, and I'll keep responding to it. So let's get back to talking about bird. How do we cook boneless, skinless chicken breast that we all know is good for us, that we all know we've had cooked well before but we can't seem to cook it for ourselves in such a way that it doesn't make us just want to go ahead and just jump off a cliff well i i've been through all the stages of this grieving process the bird grieving process it's a real thing but i I can tell you there is light at the end of the tunnel i'm here to help you find that light so how do we make boneless skinless chicken breast not suck there are two things this is where you start taking notes there's two things that must be done two conditions necessary but also sufficient. If you manage both of these conditions, you will have good chicken. However, both are necessary in order to have good chicken. And so if you fail at either, you're going to have shitty chicken. The first is you got to brine your birds. Among other sources, America's Test Kitchen, one of my favorite sources for culinary information, um, tells you that every time they cook poultry, they are soaking that either in a liquid uh, saline bath for up to uh, two hours up to overnight they'll say or you put dry salt uh on your on your bird and you leave it on the counter for minimum 30 minutes up to a couple of hours and what that does is the presence of salt um, and mixed in with water or some other whatever protein is present there at the surface of the bird uh, causes some gentle chemical reaction that produces a compound that one way or another prevents water from escaping the bird as it's being cooked 
essentially you're maximizing moisture by brining your bird now if you have a salt issue a, a sodium sensitivity or whatever it might be you can according to according to atk and according to other sources you can just rinse the remaining salt away there will be some rem, some salt or some sodium intake that will be still present on your bird because of the brining process but the vast majority of it will be gone and you may still get very uh, like the vast majority of the benefits from having brined. I personally do not ever rinse. I just salt the bird for whatever amount of seasoning I want on my bird later. Let it sit for 30 minutes prior to cooking so I'm getting essentially two birds with one salt, which is I brine the bird doing this chemical process around the outside to keep it more moist. And also there's already salt there. So when it comes off the the, you know, when it comes off the heat, as soon as it cools down, it's pretty much ready to eat and salt it, whatever. Um Point being, uh, you want you gotta brine your bird. The way they typically say it is, you want to heavily salt the. And don't salt more than you'd want to eat, but pretty liberally salt the outside surfaces of all birds you plan to cook. Then let them sit, just chill for thirty minutes minimum before you cook them. All right, brine your bird, sitting in salt thirty minutes minimum. All right. The second thing you got to do is you got to understand that birds not meant to be cooked for some specific amount of time or to any particular look or texture. Bird is meant to be cooked to a particular internal temperature. Now, that particular temperature may differ depending on your belief system, whatever. I'll tell you about mine. The FDA typically says that if you want your bird to be no doubt um, pasteurized, bacteria-free or or for all intents and purposes, bacteria-free. If you cook your bird to 165 degrees Fahrenheit temperature throughout, your bird is pasteurized, and meaning it's adequately bacteria-free. Uh, so provided that it was not some disgusting rotten shit or bacteria-soaked shit beforehand, you got good bird. Um, but here's the thing. Even according to the FDA, you do not have to cook your bird to 165. You... There are other ways to pasteurize your chicken. So for, for any temperature, all the way down to something like 136 or somewhere in the 130s Fahrenheit, there are uh, published dwell time values that are there. You, if you, if, for example, here I'm looking at, uh, this is Google now, so I don't know if this is FDA per se, but I've looked up pasteurization times for chicken. Uh, and Google seems confident in saying that if you were to pasteurize your chicken at 150 degrees Fahrenheit, well below the 165 we all think we know, the dwell time, the time that your bird must remain at that temperature in order to be adequately bacteria-free, is only four minutes. So rather than cranking the temp all the way up to 165, you could keep the temp at something more mild only for just a couple more minutes, and you've got yourself a, a, healthy, a healthy and safe piece of bird that's never had to get so harshly hot. In fact, you can go all the way down to 145 if you're willing to dwell your, to keep your bird at that temperature for 12 minutes. Even all the way down to 140 if you're willing to keep your bird there for 30 minutes. And so when you get down, there are like sous vide techniques that, that can cook bird uh, very accurately to these particular temperatures. And you have to be very aware of what these pasteurization times are for that. Um, I believe you can cook bird all the way down to something like 134. 
4 Fahrenheit. Don't take my word for it. But what I've read is that it's got a really nasty texture if you do that. Typically, the best temperature to be cooking to is in the upper 140s, lower 150s. But still, it's a departure from that 165 that we're so used to. And what I want to do is shake up your idea that everything has to be 165 or that everything has to be cooked for in any particular sort of way. What you got to do is you got to is you got to sanitize your bird. You got to pasteurize your bird. You got to get the bacteria out. That's all you have to do. Okay? So it's not a particular temperature or a particular time. It may be a combination of those things. But do some research. And the most important thing we can do to make sure that we accomplish this is to have an ability to measure the temperature in real time. That's right. You need a instant read thermometer that you can actually rely on. For the longest time, and I was doing it kind of right for the longest time, you put your birds in, you pull them out, and you and you jam the, the temperature probe into the thickest part of the thickest bird, and, and, and the, the thermometer takes a minute and a half even just to reach equilibrium, and now it's telling you 128, 129. Ah, oh, jeez. Now you're guessing how, how, much you have, how long you have to go back in for. Ugh. What you really want is to be able to pop the oven open or, or pop the lid off of the skillet, cram an instrument in there, have it within a second or two tell you what your temperature is, and you know immediately if you've got to throw that lid back on or if it's time to pull these birds so you don't overcook them. Well, what you need essentially is a good, a, a quality instant read thermometer. And for the longest time I didn't have that, I suffered. It sucked. Don't fuck with it. Get a good instant read thermometer. I think there are better and worse ones. Of course there are. And you can go online and read reviews. But what I got after years and years of hilariously suffering with a, a thing that I use four to five times a week that was just a complete piece of shit. Hilariously, never thinking about replacing it with something better. I use this five times a week for eight straight years never thinking about replacing it. I finally went to my friend's house and he had a much nicer one and, and it got me, it jarred me out of the, uh, into the process of realizing I need to start doing the research. What I ended up, um, what I ended up with was a instant read thermometer called, let me pull it up here. It's called, the, the brand is called Thermo Works, which I think is kind of the gold standard, I think for like well, like universally trusted brands in this regard and this is like their cheapest smallest little model it's called thermo pop but i gotta tell you it's got all the features it's got a light up display it's like a universal like universal direction display if you're looking in the wrong direction it'll figure out where gravity is and, and rotate the numeric output so you can see it um the biggest thing about it though is man you stick that thermometer into that bird and within about two seconds maybe three seconds that the reading's not changing anymore it's, it's confident in itself. You cram it in, it says 136. You don't have to sit there and go, oh, it'll probably go up. That old one I had, dude, <laughs> you cram it in, it goes 90, 95, 102, 106, 111, 118. And you're, you're doing, you're, in your head, you're doing derivatives to try to figure out, or like some sort of an integral thing to try to estimate where that asymptote is. Where, where is it headed? No, get yourself a thermal pop. It's right now they're on sale for 21 bones. I bought mine for 35 bones and it's well worth it. You can get a better model thermal, the thermal works one, I think it's called for maybe like a hundred bucks, but I'm not even advocating that. The one I got's plenty good. 21 bones for now or pay full price and get it for 35. It's going to be great, but you got to know what the internal temp of your bird is or you're not going to get 
Good bird, you're playing, you're gambling. You're gambling with your goddamn lunch, and that's no way to live, man. you got to know when it's lunchtime. The little, the miserable little break you get in the middle of this day, you got to know that what's going into your mouth is something you're going to enjoy sucking on. All right? You can't. Uh, all right. So figure out how you want to cook at vis-a-vis temperature, but make sure you have an, a reliable measurement instrument for that. Do not eat unpasteurized chicken, but do not eat overcooked chicken. So now you know the only two things that are required for making good chicken. You got to be able to, you have to have a reliable method for cooking your chicken to an internal temperature or an internal temperature plus dwell time, depending on how you go about pasteurizing your chicken. But if it is 165 you're aiming for, you want to hit 165 and immediately pull those birds. You don't want to leave them on any longer. If it's something, if it's a different route you're going, you want to be able to carefully do that thing without adding too much heat ever getting that temperature too high and drying out your bird and the other thing you got to do is you got to know how to brine your bird you got to have some experience it's going to take a few tries you're going to have to do some salt and some rinse and some weight and some whatever but once you understand the importance of brining your birds you'll detect it on the first try and you'll never go back okay now you know how to make good bird um that being said, what do you need? Well, there's a couple things you need. I, I've talked about a thermometer. you got to have a good thermometer. I'm not going to pitch it anymore. Thermal pops, good one. Um, anything reliable is good. Just don't get whatever Walmart piece of shit I had before. That thing caused me headaches for like eight years. Just You're going to be using it a lot. Get a decent one. Fucking $35. Let's go. Uh, the other thing I recommend to people is if you don't have a good chef's knife, you're going to want a good chef's knife. Now, a lot of people have... Um, just a block, like a, the knife block they got for Christmas that one time. Uh, you know, that could be good. If you feel comfortable with it, whatever. Um, you're going to be doing some some cutting at close quarters with your with your little tootsies. And if you're not very experienced with a knife, a dull knife or a crappy, you're just a shitty one. I mean, it's you'll be better off with a good knife. But that being said, you know, it's, uh, it's six of one and a half dozen of the other, right? So... Don't, don't worry too much about getting a great knife. Just make sure you have something that you don't hate. If the knife that you got is dull and that's all you think, every time you pick it up, you start cutting something, you go, this fucking dull knife, okay, that's not a good knife. But if you pull the thing out of the block and you start slicing, you go, eh, this is good enough. Well, then there's a good chance it's good enough. All right. If you do, however, hate the knife that you got, um, get yourself a good <laughs> a good knife. The one that I've got, I've got a Wusthof 8-inch. Uh, it's called a Wusthof Classic 8-inch Chef's Knife. That's like a $100 knife. Not necessary. I do love that knife, but you don't have to fuck with that. What you need to get is uh, what America's Test Kitchen recommends. Again, I think I've, I think that's going to be best for you. It's, uh, it's the Victorinox Fibrox. 8-inch chef's knife. It's like 43 bucks. Um, it's a top seller year after year after year. You're going to love it. $43 for a knife. Can't go wrong. So if you don't love the one you're using or if you feel at all uncomfortable with the knife you're using, you're going to eventually hurt yourself. Fuck it. Leave those off to the side for when grandma comes over. Get yourself a nice Victorinox that you're going to use because we are going to have you doing some fine, a little bit of fine cutting on these birds in order to make them not suck. All right? So now we know what to do. And now it's time to talk procedure okay so let me describe from the moment i get home with my birds to the moment i'm eating my birds i'm going to tell you every step along the way okay uh, i get home with my birds in their poison pack it's just a shrink wrapped yellow styrofoam pack just filled with poison mussels of bird uh, and first thing i do is as soon as that bag becomes like available to me and the items are lifted up off of it the family pack of dollar 89 per pound birds becomes 
available to me to, to detach us away from the rest of the items I've got. I pull that thing out. I set it like in the sink because it's like this thing's dripping with poison or it could be. Then I usually rinse my hands off or if they don't feel wet, I just go back to putting away the other shit that I have to put away. Um, and once everything's put away, I get back to those birds and I realize, all right, I'm going to have to do something with these things. Typically, I don't like to just put them back in the fridge or anywhere else. I like to just address them immediately, not for any particular reason other than it's a pain in the ass and it's good to just get your chores out of the way early. I don't think there's anything wrong with storing uncooked bird for a couple of days or potentially up to maybe even a week, uh, but I prefer not to. If I do have to store them, I just throw, I don't do anything special. I just throw them into the, into kind of like a middle, one of the thin racks, one of the slender, like short little stubby racks. Just cram them in there. I try to leave them up obvious and available and visible from the front so that every time I open it, I go, oh yeah, I got to cook those. Oh, yeah. But typically when I get home, as soon as I get home, it's when I want to cook them. So I'll throw them kind of into the sink or I'll, I'll kind of resting along the spine that separates the two sinks from one another. Um, and the next thing I'm doing is I'm looking for a couple dinner plates. We all have dinner plates. I'll stick a couple dinner plates over there. One's for dirty birds, one's for clean birds. Um, and step Essentially, step number one in fucking with birds is to get them uh, into form. And then step 1B is to get them salted. But form for all these fat birds, if you're not cooking them in the oven, if you're not doing some weird cooking method, if you're actually just going to cook them in a skillet like a normal human being, well, you can't take the birds, these genetically modified birds, the way they come. They're too goddamn big. So you got to cook, you got to cut them thinner. And even cutting them straight down the middle and cutting them into halfies, half breast cutlets, is oftentimes too much. So depending on the thickness of these things, if that bird is like over two inches thick, I'll cut them into thirds. But that requires making cutlet cuts, which is not exactly an easy thing to do. So what do we do? Well, um, I'm going to pull out one of my shittiest cutting boards, one of the plastic ones I don't care about. Lay it on top of my actual cutting board I do care about. I'm going to make a slice down. Now I'm going to reach in over to the right over to where my sink is. I'm making a slice down the side of that cellophane, plastic, whatever. I'm going to pull out one of these genetically modified monster tits. Lay it down on the center of my plastic cutting board, and if hopefully the thing feels roughly uniform, but it doesn't. It's a gigantic. It's a. It's like a giant droplet shape. It's a water droplet shape. There's nothing uniform about it. Um, so what you're gonna do is smack it with your left hand. I assume you're right-handed. You cut with your right hand. You, you use a knife in your right hand, like I do. Smack that thing with your left hand. Try to make it roughly flat. Then have a look from the side. You're literally going to drop your head down sideways to the level of where that bird is and have a look at if you were to perfectly dissect that thing with a mid-plane, uh, what would be about the thickness of each of those, the two bird cutlets that comes out. And if it's anything more than three-quarters of an inch or an inch, um, you're going to want to go with thirds. But let's just imagine that you got n not you, you have non- uh, non-monster bird breasts that you're cooking let's just say they're normal size what you want to do is almost any breast you get is going to be too thick as is but almost every breast you get is likely to be good if you were to dissect it if you're will if you're if you can cut it in half and the way that you do that is kind of like i described you're going to slap it on the plastic cutting board smack it with your left hand try to make your left hand parallel to the cutting board itself and sort of mush the thing into instead of being so round and bulbous try to make it a little bit more of a a little bit more of a brick that would lie nicely between two flat surfaces then take a look down sideways i'm doing it as we speak i don't know if you can hear the difference um and yeah 
and then you sort of position the blade of your knife. You're using your right hand now. Position the blade of your knife about halfway up. Make sure your blade is oriented sideways, and you begin to slowly and gently kind of eh, 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 saw that blade forward. Now, you are cutting towards your other hand, which is inherently dangerous, so be very careful. But you should be able to, there is some intuition to it, you should be able to kind of feel yourself as you cut through, and you should also be able to very gently and carefully um, make the sort of obvious intuitive adjustments that your hands would tend to make in order to keep the cutting edge of that blade away from any vulnerable parts of your body. So you're smacking the top of that bird to hold it still, and then you're using your right hand to sort of just kind of cut the, the to the best of your ability a horizontal plane through the dead center of that bird. And you're going to get what you're going to get. So when you pull that thing back out very gently, that knife back out, and now you're, the blade's clear and you're safe to flip out the two cutlets and see how they compare well there's a good chance one's going to be hugely thick and the other one's going to look like a <laughs> like a tissue paper and if you did that eh, so be it who cares then you take the thick one and you just do it again you try it again but if you got him even close pat yourself on the back not with the knife still in your hand but <laughs> mentally pat yourself on the back um and then here's what we're going to do we're going to set the knife down i like to i have to i like to set it in a way that the contaminated blade is still over top of the plastic cutting board. That's my kind of contaminated space. But the handle, my right hand and the handle of the blade, to me, are not contaminated. They're not, they're not chicken poison things. So if I can find any place, which is hard, I have no space to work in my kitchen, but I'll try to find a clean place to drop the handle of my blade and have the blade draping over into the dirty spot, I'm good. Uh, then I'll use my left hand, my dirty hand, to pick up one of those cutlets. In my right hand, I'll reach up into the cabinet and find the Tony Kitchers, the orange salt. And then over top of the sink, I'll sprinkle, 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 just, you know, and then I'll kind of do like a pancake flip of the chicken cutlet in my left hand, which never works. And then eventually murder it over onto its clean side, sprinkle, sprinkle, sprinkle. I'll get orange salt on both sides. Now, I'm finally going to one of those dinner plates I told you about earlier. And it's definitely the dinner plate that's closer to the cook surface, we'll talk about that again later, and I'm plopping down that one half bird. Now I'm going to the other half bird that we just talked about, or it could be third third birds if the original bird was too thick. Either way, I'm picking up one at a time, sprinkle, sprinkle, sprinkle over the sink. Some, some ham-fisted attempt to flip that bitch and then sprinkle, sprinkle, sprinkle again, and then onto a dinner plate, find the last one. Until my, until my poison cutting board is empty, then I'm going back to my yellow styrofoam, getting the next titty, and I'm coming back on over, right? And we start the process again. If it's super duper thick, I'm looking at trying to make thirds out of this thing. But if it's not crazy thick, I'm just flattening it out, getting my head down low, taking a good look at it, trying to dissect this thing into two um, cutlets. And when the cutlets are made, I try to find a decent place to set my knife down without contaminating it, pick up one cutlet, sprinkle it with orange salt, onto the plate whatever keep doing this until all the birds are gone then you're going to take that yellow piece of styrofoam out of the sink put it into upside down into the trash can then you're going back to the sink you're putting on the hottest water you can find you're getting some dove soap or something and you're going to scrub 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 your little hands then you're going to scrub 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 your little knife then you go straight to the towel with the knife in hand and kind of just dry everything at once Put the knife back on the knife block where it belongs. Now you still have contaminated shit out and about. That's right. Your your cutting board is still contaminated, but 
the edges of it are not. There are parts of it that are not. So now your hands are clean and your knife's clean and put away. You, you gently pick up that contaminated uh, cutting board. You dump it into the sink. You're good to go. Give it a little rinse. Maybe re-rinse your hands one time. If, you're, if your nerves are skeptical, you put, re-soap and re-rinse your hands. You're good to go. Now we're good. Now remember, there is still poison about because you still have a heaping pile of salmonella bird right next to your stove top. I mean like four feet from where you're standing. That's right. But we will handle that when we get there, right? Okay. So leave. Come back 20 minutes later. Ah, bird's brined. Now it's time to cook. Awesome. Um, uh, I don't think there's an advantage. I've never found an advantage to using a proper uh, nonstick cook surface for making bird. I just use the shittiest pan that I've got that actually has some size to it. So it's it's a pan that used to be a good pan, a T-Fowl Professional 12-inch nonstick skillet. That was like 36 bucks. I've, I've gone through numerous of them. They, they're they amazing when they're new, and then they get shitty real quick. And unfortunately, that, that's kind of like the best you can do. I don't know why. I don't know why, but that's like the best nonstick pan you're going to get, and they just go to shit after a, a couple of months. Um, so I have this old one that's just used up and bombed out and depleted, but it still cooks chicken good. I, so I just use that. I don't know why. Um, so I'll pull the thing up, lay it down. It's like warped. I should not use it. But I still do, and I still get good chicken. So whatever. I'll put the thing down. I dump a little oil in there. And I, I think you got to use a high smoke point oil, whatever. I don't know. Olive oil works fine. I even use grapeseed oil because I didn't have olive oil the other day. I think it works fine. It's just oil. Um, you pour a, a little tablespoon in there, just a little bloop, and then turn it up to like max temp. Then I usually turn my exhaust vent up to medium and my light the light on for the overs and stuff. Right. Um, then the next thing I'm doing is uh, I make sure my chicken's all ready to go. Yeah, it's good to go. I make sure my utensils are good to go. I like to have a good um, kind of like a scissor-shaped tongs or whatever ready to go. But I'm not using that for raw chicken because I don't want to contaminate it. But I will use that for cooked and even half-cooked chicken, like cook chicken that's cooked on the outside. So I'll have that thing ready to go with a cute little the little holder that you put it up in when it's dripping up on that. There's a little like drip catcher thing. All right, so I got my my shitty old skillet with oil in it, getting hot. I got an infrared thermometer, which you don't need, but I'll use just to see if the if the surface of the skillet is hot yet. And once it gets there, which is like 420, 430, I don't know. You want to get up into the mid fours before you start trying to cook chicken. But then I'll crank the temperature of that burner down to like medium high. I don't think it needs to be much higher than that. I think I'm just impatient, so I crank it up to high intensity to try to get it to reach temperature. And once it gets there, then I'm like, no, you could just chill here. You don't have to be 530. I don't know how high I would get, but it'll start smoking and getting gross. Once it gets to mid 400s or maximum 500, I'm cranking that bitch down to like medium high intensity. Uh, and then, yeah, you're damn right. I'm going to go ahead and use my left hand to reach across to that dirty poison bird pile, the pile of bird cutlets on that dinner plate we talked about. And one at a time, I'm going to gently drop them into that oil. You'll hear them sizzle and pop and crackle. And I'm going to just put in usually four until it fills the container. Then go find a lid that fits that pan. If you don't have a lid that fits that pan, get tin foil or something. Put something over top of it because your, your main enemy is overcooking bird. And the main way you do that is by inputting too much heat from the outside, by conducting too much heat in it. If you, if you can only introduce heat by conducting it through a hot surface, well, the only way for it to get to the center of your bird is for that bird to have to sit there for a half a fucking hour while this heat tries to get there to the center of it. 
what you can do is increase your odds of having decent bird by covering the thing and now you're conducting heat from the bottom and convecting a little bit of heat from the top and there's actually a chance you might be able to get the center of this thing to a decent temperature before the outside of it turns into a hockey puck. So that's what we do. I happen to have a nice 12 inch uh, skillet lid that fits neatly on the shit pan that I use for cooking bird. I put it right on top and uh, then, it's, then, then we're playing the waiting game. We're on side one of batch one of bird. Okay. You say, well, how long do you sit there? Um, I don't know. Don't know. There's no, I don't know. Three, four minutes, probably ish. Three minutes, four, I don't know. Three and a half, four minutes. Then you pull the lid off and if it all looks kind of white and half cooked dish or whatever, you pull the first one up and kind of start to flip. And if it looks beautiful and golden on the bottom, it's like, yeah, it's, we're probably doing okay. Flip them all, drop it back down. Come back an equal amount of time later, maybe three minutes. Now is when we pull out our thermo pop. Pull the lid off of that bitch, turn it on, cram that into the thickest part of the thickest bird, and within a couple seconds, you'll know if you nailed it. If that mug says 145, 150, to me, personally, I'm like, dim birds is done. And I might give them 10 more seconds. Uh, I'm pulling them off. If you're a person, if you're like, 165, if you're afraid, if you got to do that, that's fine, fine, fine. I'm not making any sort of... Uh, yeah, that's totally cool. So then you've got a little ways to go. Put the lid back on. Let them cook for a little longer. But as soon as you see the temperature you're cool with, pull them birds. Set your temperature thermometer off to the side. Drop another tablespoon or two of oil back into the thing. Take a deep breath. And then use your dirty left hand to, to drag over the next four slimy pieces of poison bird. Drop them into the thing. Put your lid back on. Back over to the sink. Rinse your hands off. Get them sanitized again. And now we're good. Now we're in a, now we're in steady state. We're moving. We're a machine now. We have outputs. We have inputs. The thing is moving, right? So then uh, keep keep it going. After a few minutes, pull the lid, flip them bitches. A few more minutes later, you pull the lid and start temping them. If they're not there, you give them a few more minutes. Once they get there, you pull them off. A little more oil, put in the next batch until that thing is empty. Now, I did mention to you that you're going to want two plates, two dinner plates, one for Dunbird, one for poison bird always put your uncooked bird closer to the stove than your uncooked bird this way you never accidentally pull a piece of uncooked bird and drape it over top of the cooked bird and risk dripping poison juice onto your cooked birds i mean if you're pulling a piece of cooked bird off the stove top and you drip delicious cooked bird juice onto the poison bird that doesn't matter but the other way around would suck so make sure that you keep your good bird your cooked bird stash a little further away and the poison bird is a little closer that's fine but once all the poison bird is into the pan you know you pick up that poison plate and you gently bring drag it over to the sink you kind of rinse it off you flip it upside down and then if you feel so inclined you maybe you wash your hands even again just to be very safe but that'll be the last you touch of poison salmonella poison for the night so long as you don't flip the birds too early and you don't get in there all right, another three minutes pass. You pop that thing open. They look sort of white. You flip them. A few more minutes pass. You take the temp. If they're up to temp, a temp you're good with, you pull them off. Then you move everything off the heat. Turn all the heat off. Keep the fan going for a while. And now you got yourself a pile of hot cooked chicken sitting on a plate. Walk away. Come back a long time later after you've let it cool down for a long time. And then I like to use another one of these plastic cutting boards. Why? Not because I'm afraid of having cooked bird on my fancy wooden 
cutting board, but and it's just easier to clean up if I use one of the shitty ones. So I just put a plastic board there. And then one by one, I'll pull a, 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 bo- a bird or two over onto the thing and just chop, 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 chop them into little things, throw them into a gallon size uh, uh, Ziploc bag. Once they're all done, it's all steaming up. It's still hot. I kind of leave them. I leave the top open. Um, you can do that thing where you roll you roll over the top of the thing, kind of like you're cuffing your the bottom of your <laughs> pants or you're like cuffing your sleeve or something. You can do that to the top of the gallon bag where you kind of roll it over itself. It helps it stay upright as you're dumping the bird in. But when it is finally time to shut that thing, decuff it. And... <laughs> um, and you don't have to close it just yet. It's still warm in there. Just leave it. I like to do a thing where I'll slice open a lemon and just drizzle lemon juice in there. I know it seems weird, but one time I accidentally stumbled upon chicken that I had lemoned kind of almost in a silly way. And I was like, this lemon, <laughs> this chicken is so good. Now I do it every time. So whatever. Throw it, squeeze a little lemon in there if you like. Either way, what you got now is a bag full of bird that uh, cut up pieces of bird you can put on a salad, you can put into pasta, you can put on just a plate. The most, the most common way I eat bird is it's in a plastic bag in my fridge, and I will pull it out, take a small plate out or a bowl, and then just kind of like bleh, just pour over six or eight ounces of bird from that Ziploc bag into a plate or bowl into the microwave 30 seconds or a minute, and when it comes out, maybe I'll put a little sriracha or something on there. Maybe I won't, and I just eat it. Sometimes I eat it with pickles. I just eat it. That's a snack, and that's bird. It's lean meat and nothing else. It's not fucking up my my macro counts or whatever it's good for you and it's delicious and the only way you're going to know how good it actually tastes which from your experience bird tastes like shit i know is you got to do it or you got to come have mine so come on over and ask me for a sample i'll give it to you i like i told you i always have it in the fridge have it right now i will have a new batch tomorrow and come over and get it uh or make it yourself prove it to yourself you can make some even better than mine fuck with some chicken and realize that lean, white meat, protein, poultry, whatever bird is is an easy, affordable, cheap, reliable, attractive, decent, good, and available option for you. And it can help you replace maybe some of the shit that you're eating that you know is not great for you. Um, so give it a try. Give this method a try. And if you like it, let me know. And if you don't like it, hey, let me know, you know. Uh, but Hey, you guys are awesome out there. Thanks so much for listening. I want to help you to have a great, a good, healthy option that you actually enjoy eating. So give it a try. If you don't like it, sorry. Um, but you're awesome and keep on listening and, uh, see you next time.